You know, for me, David, outside in leadership is all about organizing the company and the key leadership decisions around what's happening in the world around us. You know, areas like the macroeconomic environment and sometimes political customers, especially where, where industries have lead customers who are on the edge of experimentation, competitors have never been in a business that doesn't have competitors. And so a deep understanding of the competition is a must. And then technology technology from both inside and outside your given industry. These are some of the bigger factors for, for which, you know, real leadership should bring their energy, their attention. It seems pretty straightforward, but I still see a lot of leaders whose bias is, well, let me get things done. And so let me only focus on things that are internal, things I can touch. Hi there, this is David Knorr. Welcome to the third season of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so excited after years of research and interviews and due diligence on this topic to finally be able to publish Curvebenders this year. It'll be my 11th book as a follow-on to Relationship Economics and Co-Create. Curvebenders, in essence, are your strategic relationships that enable your non-linear growth in the future. Our research points to 15 forces that we believe will dramatically impact the future of how you'll work, how you'll live, how you'll play, and how you'll give. The global pandemic is just one example. So how will you remain relevant if more disruption will come at us more often with potentially far greater impact? In each episode, I want to share with you insights, great ideas from guests I've invited to join us, as well as practical ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, your behaviors, and most importantly, what I believe is your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. I call those relationships your curve benders. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Nor here. Just a quick heads up that we're constantly updating our new website, norgroup.com, with new blog posts, podcast episodes like this one, links to my Forbes and Inc. articles, and a new intimate community called the Nor Forum. It's a place where like-minded professionals are gathering to learn, share, and grow through insights about strategic relationships, visual storytelling, and nonlinear growth. This is also where you find articles, poll questions, and some great discussions. For example, earlier today, there is an article on how to be more productive in the post-pandemic world. I am hosting a longtime friend, Diane Ryan, a retired Army colonel and a leadership development expert at West Point on an upcoming podcast and live stream. There are interesting folks sharing uh, really gender equality questions and challenges. There is, I shared a unique insights about the Persian New Year. So a lot of great content where companies go wrong with learning and development. Here's a poll question or how are you thinking about planning for or leading differently in your business or role in the post-COVID world? So we're up to about a thousand folks, all professionals, all from all around the world, really talking a lot about their relationship challenges and opportunities, how do we effectively communicate, how do we really learn more, learn it faster, and apply those to solve challenges and opportunities. So I hope you come join us at norgroup.com slash forum. That's n-o-u-r group.com slash forum.
Welcome back to the Curvebenders podcast. Delighted to be joined by longtime client and friend and mentor and colleague and someone I admire for not just his background, but in many ways, kind of how he thinks. Dennis Sadlowski, welcome to the Curvebenders podcast. Yeah, good morning, David. Always good to catch up. It's great to have you. Dennis, you and I met years ago when you were running Siemens Energy and Automation, but you've got a fabulous background. Can you start with a brief introduction of where you've been and what you've done over the years? And I'm also really curious about your current role, your focus. Sure, David. I think you know that our backgrounds are not too dissimilar. I'm a first-generation American. I know you came over as an immigrant, both born to German parents, uh, grew up in Northern California, went to Cal Berkeley, studied chemical engineering, and then said yes to GE, which started my career. Ten years, six moves, and then a number of other roles. In the last 15 years, I, I've led a number of different companies as CEO, joined a few boards, both public and private, and most recently led SQL Environmental through a significant transformation. SQL Environmental is a NASDAQ-listed small-cap company. Right now, I'm looking to put the, those skills to, to work in my next leadership fit. So as long as I've known you, you're driven by challenges. You're, you're driven by organizations that you look for that need some sort of transformation. Dennis, is that really a driving force in your next chapter, next opportunity? And where do you believe that comes from? Yeah, I've always leaned into a challenge. It's probably uh, embedded in the competitive side in me. You know, one of the things I didn't mention is that I was, I've been a soccer player for 40 years of my life. You know, I actually calculated that I've chased the black and white round ball once around the globe. And probably that competitive nature, that wanting to, to win, do better, lead an organization to success is a part of, you know, when I think about opportunities, what I look at as a fit. So I know you've, you're also a astute observer of key trends. Are there some that you believe will continue to bolster enterprise growth or success in the energy? And I know you've got a great background in that industrial automation sector. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the one thing you can say about the energy world these days is just, wow, we, we are in the early innings of a major transition to lower carbon solutions for production, for distribution, you know, and for the various uses of energy. So there's going to be numerous opportunities coming forward, as well as quite a few big challenges. You know, in the industrial automation side, this continues to be a hot field, you know, field of innovation, a field that drives productivity across all aspects of industry. So it's a great place to be. There's a lot of money chasing a lot of interesting deals right now as well. You mentioned some challenges in energy. Can you give us one or two examples? Well, on the big, big picture side, you know, there, there's a lot of discussions going on in and around the investment community of whether oil and gas is an investable long-term solution these days. And if oil and gas industry starts to detract from investment dollars, it's going to make the returns a lot more difficult. And, and so requiring a lot of the big oil companies to think about the transition themselves and transitioning to lower carbon solutions. How about industrial automation? What is one or two challenges on that side? Well, challenges, I think there are more opportunities than challenges, but, but the world has moved more and more to sensors for data and, and managing that data. And so the winners are all about harnessing data from sensors and harnessing that and translating that into solutions that bring 
speed, bring quality, bring new innovation to market. Another one of the attributes I associate with Dennis Sadlowski is, is this idea, and you've been passionate about this notion of outside-in leadership. You recently shared a glimpse into of, of it in, you know, on LinkedIn. Can you share with our audience its fundamental premise? Absolutely. You know, for me, David, outside-in leadership is all about organizing the company and the key leadership decisions around what's happening in the world around us. You know, areas like the macroeconomic environment and sometimes political customers, especially where, where industries have lead customers who are on the edge of experimentation, competitors have never been in a business that doesn't have competitors. And so a deep understanding of the competition is a must. And then technology, technology from both inside and outside your given industry. These are some of the bigger factors for, for which, you know, real leadership should bring their energy, their attention. It seems pretty straightforward, but I still see a lot of leaders whose bias is, well, let me get things done, and so let me only focus on things that are internal, internal things I can touch, et cetera. So where's the downside on that internal focus? I I think I've got a a forthcoming guest, Michael Watkins, who wrote all about the first 90 days, and he is one of those advocates. Talk a lot about get your house in order and really ensure that you've got the right team and the right talent, and a lot of those kind of internal focused approaches. And there's a lot of benefit and there's a lot of need to execute cleanly. The question is really about, are you executing on the right things and are you adapting properly for the right future that you're trying to build for your organization that you're trying to evolve in within the externalities of the business? And so for me, that's where the real attention is. It doesn't stop you from still going after internal programs, internal productivity, and and getting those last few cents, so to speak, off the factory floor or equivalent. But for my money, the outside-in approach is really what energizes and keeps a business live and vibrant. One of your concerns about that internal focus is, is, as I've heard you describe it, as potential blinders and or just wasted time, effort, cycles, resources on things that aren't really going to move the needle. Talk a little about that in terms of priorities and how do you ensure those internal things you've got to get done don't blind you to the external factors that could give the organization a cold, a flu, or kill it? Yeah, well, as I think about outside-in leadership and and in my approach over the years, I've always required 100% of the senior leadership to meet with real and paying customers on a regular basis. It gives them a real sense of what's happening in the world and not just asking questions of of customers around their pain point, but what about their opportunity set? You know, what is it that keeps the CEO up in the morning? What is he thinking most about with his or her board? You know, what are the things that are driving them to think about in the future so that we can align and be ready when the market is ready for new products, for new innovation, for new execution? Armed with that, we still would have to lay out a plan for the next, you know, 18 months, two years, and execute cleanly on that as we continue to sense what's happening in the market, what's happening in the world, and make adaptations. So I think you and our audience would cringe at the story that I share of having spoken with a chief financial officer of Dennis, $8 billion company, and I ask, how many clients have you seen in the last six months? And his response was zero. 
And the whole time I'm thinking, are you telling me you've got your finger on the pulse of this business by looking at a bunch of financials? And I'm mesmerized by how many leaders are not getting out there and not engaging. I love your definition, real and paying customers. Why do you believe that is? Why aren't more senior executives out at the street level where their values really delivered versus Mahogany Row? I can't tell you why they don't. But, but I can tell you that, that that individual would not make it in my organization. As quality as I'm sure he is, that would not fly. Uh, I require my, my staff, that includes the head of you know, IT, that includes the CFO, that includes you know, the head of HR, all to meet with regularly with real and paying customers. And I use the real and paying because when I was leading a, a large organization like Siemens Energy and Automation with 12,000 people, the, the trick would be, hey, I'm going to fly out and meet in the Houston sales office with the sales team and use that as my customer visit. And I said, no, 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 that, that, that's not a customer visit. You really need to be out there. In each and every visit, the company learns something. The individuals learn, the company learns, and, and we bring those learnings back to the organization. I could give you a number of examples where this was transformative. Talk about that, because I'm really fascinated when you say, you know, IT leaders and finance and operations, manufacturing, that senior leadership team getting out and talking to real customers and then bringing those learnings, bringing those insights back. Dennis, what happened to them when they brought those back? And give us one example of what would that transformation look like? Yeah. So one that that I recall specifically, our head of human resources was out and, you know, checking his MBO and, and going out to meet with the customer. And while he was out on the call, the customer let him know that, hey, we've been expediting some product from you. And he said, well, let me help. You know, let me jump on the phone. Let me see if I can find the answers you're looking for. In that call, he found out just how cumbersome it was to get to the right place, to get to the right person, to get the right answer. This is the head of human resources, again, for an organization with 12,000 people. He brought that back to the staff meeting, to the customer. We, we looked at the process. We looked at the, at the phone trees and, and how that worked, and we adapted the entire thing, again, based on one of those visits from you know somebody who, for all intents and purposes, is not normally getting out with customers on a regular basis. I love that. So are there some potential risks to outside-in leadership? Where's the downside? If there are, I can't say that, that I'm aware of, of what the risks would be. You know, the, the, when you think about sustainability and sustainable competitive advantage, I think you and I have talked, a lot of that comes from your people. If you're connecting your people to what's happening in the external world and you're using that for learning and development, I have seen we're also adapting to the changing conditions in the market. But whether that's changing from a crisis-type uh, headwind or whether that's just the gradual transformation, you know, I have seen very little downside of, of this approach. Love it. So switch gears with me, and let's talk about top. You've hired a lot of leaders. You've politely excused and, and helped some leaders move on. What are the top attributes you believe are predictors of the future success of a great leader? Well, you know, top on the list, I think, is resilience. Resilience is key. 
but not just the individual leader's resilience, your personal resilience, what kind of things have you personally overcome and, and how have you responded, but what, how have you demonstrated the ability to build organizational resilience across your staff, your function, your people over time? You know, I believe that, that one of the keys to that sustained competitive advantage I mentioned already is adaptability and how a leader has developed resilience and adaptability in her organization, you know, is a real key indicator of, of how she's going to do in the future. Are there right ways of doing that? And if so, can you give us one or two? What, what are you looking for? What's your observable behavior? Well, that, there's a couple of things with, within the building of others. You know, I generally am asking people how they've developed their staff members in the past. And, and not just looking for, hey, I, I promoted somebody from clerk to, you know, first level employee because she was really hustling. I'm really looking for, have you identified those gems that, that really went on and perhaps someday we'll be working for them, not just they'll be working for us. And, and when you find those people, you know, those are uh, guys that are great developers of talent. Do you believe that talent is fundamentally a sustainable differentiator between teams and organizations? Absolutely. Talent combined with, you know, outside in leadership, with leaning forward, with having a compelling future, all of those things together, I believe really do develop that sustainable competitive advantage. So staying on that talent agenda, do you believe attracting, developing, retaining exceptional talent has become more difficult or less during this pandemic and and why well getting the right team on board and, and keeping them on the bus has always been a top priority going into the pandemic I, I think we were essentially at full employment especially here in the u.s but in a lot of parts of the world and so finding and keeping in talent was, was an enormous challenge you had to have a compelling vision you know providing everybody a purpose giving some everybody something to aspire to. And hopefully you were growing because growth expands the opportunity set for key talent. The pandemic was a shock to the system. You know, and most companies moved towards heavy cost out programs. You know, that was took center stage. And so as the economy reopens to the new normal, it'll be important to remember that pre-pandemic environment in which people had options. You'd better have made your bed throughout the cycle because it won't be long before recruiting and retaining talent that once again are a top operational and strategic priority. So you you have in the past and continue to work, as you mentioned, with a number of private equity firms with a plethora of capital, Dennis, on the sideline looking for quality deals. And in many ways, the low cost of available capital, whether it's private or in public markets, what are some of the PE capital market trends you're excited about? And then I'm going to flip the coin and ask you, which ones, which ones concern you? Well, no doubt there's a lot of capital and a lot of smart people looking to deploy it right now, whether that's private equity or even in, in some of the public markets. And it drives up valuations and, and makes unique deals very hard to find. But unique points of view on how to accelerate advantages, build scale, deliver through strong leadership teams, those things can still be differentiating. So, so there's still a big opportunity set, whether it's in private equity or some of the other uh, avenues for deploying capital. Yeah. One of the other areas, you know, is our SPAC, special purpose acquisition companies. They've become an innovative vehicle for fueling growth capital. 
But it would appear to me that the current wave of SPACs has returns heavily skewed towards the sponsors. You know, regular people and retail investors often don't understand the full dilution effects of post-merger companies. So I suspect it, it won't be long before the regulators are going to weigh in with new rules. The other thing that I'm concerned about is the long-term predictions they're making, sometimes out of thin air. And you have no visibility to what's going to happen in three years. Where, where is that coming from? Is that of concern? Well, you know, in this last year, we've seen the market, meaning the stock market and the kind of mainstream market, really diverge, and, and especially around tech and some of the accelerations that were caused by the pandemic. So time will tell whether the market's right and, and suggest that the valuations are correct because the accelerations are only going to enhance the value of, of a few specific tech companies or whether or not the market you know, got some of that wrong and perhaps we're in a bit of a bubble. I miss our one-on-one -on -one coffee visits and because not only you brought great you know, insights and, and there were just uh, intellectual curiosity just overflows. But you're also passionate about and you bring a unique perspective to every one of our conversations around brand and its impact on differentiating leaders and their organizations. Dennis, talk about your, your lens on brand. Yeah, well, I firmly believe that the two key roles of the corner office are brand and culture. And for both, they require an extremely deliberate approach and clear intentionality. Your brand doesn't resonate back with, without really having precision on what you want your brand to stand for. So a CEO and a leadership team really needs to be precise in articulating and living the brand. And at the same time, while, while this requires constant attention, it requires the right people who also want to live the brand. They, they are not separate. So, so when you think about culture and you think about brand, you know, those go hand in hand. When I think about the top brands, and, and I'm guessing when you think about some of the top brands in the world, I, I, I suspect you think Apple and Apple's at the top for no surprise. Both the culture and the brand are fully aligned. That's not an accident. And, and when it's not, when that culture, and again, Dennis, you, you and I also see, and we've talked about you know, digital transformation right now is a, is a big initiative by a lot of organizations. If you peel back the onion, a lot of these things are cultural transformations. So when the culture isn't aligned with the brand, then what? Well, I think that that, again, has to be the job of the corner office. If you're the CEO, I've had people come into my office and say, you know, the culture around here stinks in a new role. And I, and I think, well, you're in the senior leadership. How would you like it to be? Can you articulate that with precision? Can we build programs around that? How are we attracting people that, that we need to live that uh, culture and live the brand? All of those things do belong to the corner office. And, and that's why I'm so passionate about the subject of brand and as well linking it to the subject of the behaviors and people selection. As long as I've known you, again, one of the admirable of many traits is also your insatiable appetite to continue to learn and grow in, in thinking about that journey. What, what have you found to be the most impactful way for your personal and professional growth as a leader? Uh, David, I think you captured it. I like to learn. You know, I always liked school in my early years. I was one of those kind of kids. 
I still get excited when I'm learning new areas and, and still exploring, you know, how, for example, will 5G affect the industrial arena and the industrial automation side of the world. I think lifelong learning has been good for me. I try to be curious. I try to keep myself learning. I try to put myself around diverse people and teams, you know, who are also passionate about winning. Can you, do you believe that's nature? Dennis, were you born this way or is it nurture and, and somewhere along the way it was kind of driven into you? And you know what I'm going to ask next? How do you cascade this mindset, this lifelong learning mindset throughout the organization? Well, it's a great question. I don't spend a lot of time pondering nurture versus nature, but what I do spend time is trying to put mechanisms in place that promote learning and development top to bottom. Two of the last companies I led had almost zero learning and development. They had zero promotion from within, therefore, and needed whole-scale changeover. So we built our own leadership academy. We built mentoring. We, we built solutions that allowed people to participate in the corporate social development programs as an opportunity to build skills and leadership. And then we put a lot of the best people together so that they could learn in teams, whether those were virtual or, you know, face-to-face. A lot of that also comes from, again, as I mentioned, you know, my background in history playing soccer. It's the ultimate team game. And while you need your strikers or, or you know, by, by way of business analogy, your sales professionals to put uh, points on the board, they also need to be good team players and adapt to what's needed at the other end of the at the other end of the game. So that goes for every position. Build skills that are individual, but build them integrated into what the team is really trying to get done. Staying on that soccer theme, one of the things you and I have talked about is if our audience, if you've ever played one of these dynamic games like soccer or hockey or lacrosse, I think this comment will resonate that 90% of those games are played when you don't have the ball. Dennis, the best teams you and I have ever played for, we've ever observed, uh, the players are constantly scanning the field for where should I be? What should I be doing? How do I put myself and my team in the best possible position to win? How do you instill that in the culture of an organization to scan a dynamic market, to anticipate, to use data, to make decisions and really put themselves and their teams in the best possible positions to win? Yeah. You're tapping into philosophically how we implement outside-in leadership in a number of the organizations I've led. Not only do we require our executives and and people to get out in the market and have personal one-on-one conversations with customers, with the market, with suppliers, but I started every meeting with 30 minutes on what are we learning, what are we hearing, both from the market, from competition in particular, are we seeing any trend line changes? And it's armed with that that we can make, you know, hopefully quick adjustments to our competitive set, uh, both in the short term, but also start to build up and, and see any new trends that are forming in the industry. So talking about trends, talking about learning, growth, thinking about, again, your own journey from GE to Siemens to, you know, more recently, Uh, both private and public companies you've led, you've advised, you've worked with. Uh, Are there some coaching or advice you received, Dennis, that beyond helping you execute have had a profound impact on you? I guess I'm asking who have been maybe one or two curve benders in your life? 
Yeah, well, as you know, I spent my first 10 years at GE with, with a number of moves, and it was all during the Jack Welch era. Well, I only met Jack once. He had a market influence on, on my development. And this was a guy who was always extremely clear, very straightforward, and invested heavily in, in repeatable process and strong accountability. There are so many lessons I've learned during my time at GE. And while that wasn't a personal lean-on relationship, it was very impactful on a number of choices and, and decisions and paths along the way. Later, you know, I was fortunate to work with a super guy who was off the charts EQ, named Tom Edmonds. Not only did he encourage me professionally, but he also helped me with my personal development. At the time I, I went to work under Tom, you know, I was in my sixth career in geographic move in 10 years. So it's very accustomed to living life in nomadic stints. You know, he really helped me to show me that I could invest in my personal life and my family stability while still advancing my career and generating. To this day, we remain strong friends. Those are both fabulous from, from both a Jack Welsh and his influence on your development, as well as individuals like Tom. I'm, I'm always fascinated how they shape not just kind of what we accomplish, but shape the manager, the leader that we become. What do you believe it takes to do the same in the lives of others? How do you profoundly shape? How do you become a curve bender in the lives of others? Yeah, and, that, and that's a good question. Uh, one that I think is very important. It, for me, I believe first and foremost, care. The word that comes to mind is care. You know, do something you care about. Make sure you care about the people. You know, it's important to let people know what you stand for. You know, there's that old saying that says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And, you know, what you stand for gets tested, especially in a crisis like the pandemic. So so being very intentional, being very open, being very transparent about what you care about, I think it's the beginning of then being able to influence others. I hope that I've had a market impact on a number of people. I've found that it's really small things, not the big things you, you think you've done for people, but the small things that they remember you know, recognizing when somebody had a baby or giving them extra time off or a personal issue are, are things that people have come around and said, wow, I really want to stay and work in this organization and, and give it my 110%. For our audience, if you've joined us late, you've been listening to Dennis Sadlowski, boy, longtime senior executive in industrial automation, in energy, and certainly a leader that I, that I have an enormous amount of respect for. Dennis, what's the best way for our audience to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, well, with a name like Sadlowski, I'm usually pretty easy to find. You, you can look me up on LinkedIn, which also has my contact information with some recent posts on leadership lessons as well. So that's probably the easiest way people can find me right now, David. That's great. So I want to thank you for being our guest on the Curve Vendors podcast. Thank you. David, you have time for one question from me as well? Of course. You know, I was thinking about what, with the topics and the like, you're coming off, what is it, your your seventh book? Is that, is that Curvebenders? I, I've got to do a better job branding with, with friends like you. Curvebenders is actually book number 11. 11. See, I, I got it wrong. But what, what do you think you'd still like to do professionally with all that you've gotten done? Uh, what do you like to do professionally that you haven't done yet, say, in the next five years? What is on your list to continue to build? It is a great question. I'm going to give you and our audience, and thank you for asking. I'm going to give you and our audience really three things that that inspire me, that that get me up 
And for those that may not know me, I, I, I wake up with a ton of energy. So I'm up at 5 a.m. every day, including weekends. Dennis, number one is this is year 19 of my practice. It has finally dawned on me that, that we really need to lead much more of our work through technology. So you can talk about digital transformation, and that might be a buzzword or a big initiative in a lot of large organizations. I think every business uh, needs to become digital-led. So we're, I've engaged a, a fractional CTO, and we're proactively automating a lot of the technology in our methodology and our assessments and, and really building some cloud-based technology. That's number one. Number two, I've been a solo practitioner for a long time. And to demonstrate a little bit of vulnerability for a long time, I equated size with strength. So how many people are in your firm and how many people do you have, you know, you bring with you? And I went and I did exactly what you suggested. I went and spoke with 35 clients that I liked, I respected, I trusted. And none of them said they work with me because of how many copiers I own. They said, we like you, your ideas, your perspectives. Yet, and I'm also, you know, very bullish on the right kind of talent. So slowly we're adding some sharp young folks to our to our team. And I want to develop this kind of next generation of advisors and educators and coaches. And the last one, you may remember my both of my parents are retired teachers and back in Iran and I aspire to to teach. So I'm actually thinking of a stronger role in, in executive education programs or executive MBA programs as a adjunct, if not a, a potentially a full-time faculty at a decent university. So those are the things, three things that drive me every day. Fantastic. For me, it sounds like they're all big multipliers of impact for, for everybody around you. Very kind of you to say, and thanks for asking. This is a first and a very typical of Dennis Sadlowski. None of my guests have asked me questions. So thank you for bringing that up. David, you're welcome. I, I think it's important for everybody also to understand the impact that, that you have with your reach, with your work, with your books. Very, Sorry very, for getting it wrong. Very kind of you. Thanks, and we'll speak soon. All right. Thank you. By the way, three quick points, new season and a renewed commitment to our digital footprint, blog, newsletter, social media. We turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so you can find those in our completely revamped new blog forthcoming at norgroup.com slash blog. Number two, we're completely revamping our newsletter to make them even more practical and relevant with both a free and a premium version. Check it out at norgroup.com slash newsletter. Lastly, we want to bring the content from these episodes to life. So whether it's a Twitter chat with a guest or live streaming through our Facebook and YouTube channels, or even more recently, a Clubhouse audio conversation, check out our various social media channels with the hashtag Curvebenders for the latest update. I hope uh, you enjoyed this conversation with Dennis Sadlowski. I, I got to tell you, he is by far uh, one of the most intelligent, one of the most precise, intentional executives I I've met in the 19 years of my practice. Uh, I met him when he was CEO of Siemens Energy and Automation. We would get together every probably six weeks. We figured out we, we lived fairly close to each other. We would meet for coffee outside the office every six weeks or so. And I got to tell you, I left every one of those coffee meetings just energized by his intellectual curiosity, by his 
insights by his lens on the same scenario and this outside in leadership obviously by the title of the session isn't just some theme or some flavor of the week this is something he deeply believes in and, and as evident by the description of asking senior executives in these companies that he leads to get out of that uh, myopic cocoon of the office go talk to customers go talk to channel partners and distributors and the team and and find out what is happening in the market and the competitors and bring those insights back to really transform the organization. So this is your NOR summary notes in three minutes or less. I'm hoping to summarize the key insights and create some practical, pragmatic ideas. I would absolutely follow Dennis on LinkedIn. He's also active in our private uh, community, the NOR Forum. Anything and everything he writes about and shares on outside and leadership, I, I think whether you're a frontline contributor or all the way to senior executives, you can learn from. Uh, I really appreciated his comments uh, about alignment of the culture and the brand and the corner office's role is to focus on those two intentionally, strategically, proactively. Uh, I love his uh, perspective on soccer and you you can be a phenomenal a striker, in this case, sales rep, put scores up, put you know success stories up, but you also have to be a great team player. And I often ask great sales leaders, how long would you deal with a great sales rep who's a jerk? And most of them say not long. Yet we often see jerks in organizations and we're always wondering, why is that person still around? So the culture is the fundamental behaviors you're willing to tolerate. And you cannot get to your aspirations. You cannot get to that enterprise value creation with B and C players that you have to babysit. So if you're lucky enough to manage a team, if you're blessed to lead an organization, I cannot emphasize to you enough, and I know you know this, but it's worth repeating and for you to hear it, good enough is no longer good enough. Good enough talent, okay talent, mediocre talent, C player talent will not suffice. In the post-pandemic world, only exceptional talent will do in critical roles to move the organization forward. I learned that from a number of leaders in my journey. More recently, Sandy Ogg, who's written a book called Grow, and his whole vision is linking talent to value, is a big part of that, that vision so I hope you'll you'll think about that. By the way, Dennis is going to be our guest on LinkedIn Live today at noon Eastern. I would highly recommend, and we're going to promote this and create awareness for it. Come join us. Come ask your questions from uh, one of the sharpest leaders I know and I've met. So that's number one. Number two, I take the show notes from these podcasts, turn them into articles. So check them out on our website, norgroup.com or in our private community called Nor Forum. Number three, I have some fabulous guests joining us for future episodes. Uh, you know, Dennis uh, Thorne Ernston is uh, CEO of Strata, serial entrepreneur. Michael Watkins, uh, the IMD professor and, and author of The First 90 Days. Uh, Subir Chowdhury is a world-renowned for his Six Sigma expertise. And I'm also going to talk about uh, the Curvebender's journey. So I hope you'll... Subscribe to the Curvebenders podcast wherever you consume podcasts and continue to join us.
I'm so grateful for all of our listeners on the Curve Vendors podcast. I'd love to hear from you with ideas, with suggestions, with guests you'd love to hear from at this intersection of future of work, strategic relationships, and nonlinear growth. You can simply email podcast at norgroup.com or follow us on various social media channels where I use the hashtag Curve Vendors to keep you posted on our latest progress.